from the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Fight for Good podcast. We hope your day is going super fantastic. We want to thank you for joining us for our inaugural podcast. To my left is our illustrious editorial director. Would you introduce yourself, sir? My name is Jeff McDonald, and it is a pleasure, truly, and a privilege to be here in the inaugural podcast. And we are so glad that you're here. You've only been here for a couple of years now, right? Yeah, a couple of hundred. (laughs) How many years have you been the managing editor? Or the editorial director? Only uh, maybe four or five. And previously? Before that, I was managing editor and before that, production manager. So So there's been several iterations. (laughs) Of yourself. But as you know, we all do multiple tasks in this department. We do. We do that. And to my right is one of our newest staff members. And would you introduce yourself? (laughs) (laughs) My name is Michelle Katsaris, and I'm the assistant to the editorial director, Jeff McDonald. Did did I say something that was so funny? Was, no. it, was it too funny? No, it was your face. <laughs> it was my face. <laughs> I have a face for podcasting, <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. Hey, listen, you know, um, we're glad you're, you're joining us. We're um, underway with a lot of new things that we're wanting to do here at, at uh, National Headquarters, in particular for the publications department. I should add that our studios today are in a very special place. We are in the Peer Magazine offices, and we are so grateful for our Peer Magazine staff, and we launched that magazine just a few months ago. It was January of this year. And that was quite an effort because we we had to shut down one of our magazines. Revamp the entire publication, gearing it to a you know, uh, Generation Z, and uh, went a lot of intensive design preparation and evaluation and consultation went into that. So the, the, the peer team is really leading in the digital side of things and a kind of a contemporary flow of, of a look and a kind of a feel, which, which we're really excited about. So we're grateful to be in their, their space today. Yes. Uh, for our, our inaugural thing. And that's a free subscription, by the way, if anybody's interested. That's right, peermag.org. Mm-hmm. Free subscription. You can actually read the whole magazine online. Right. And, and it's very pertinent. It's pertinent. They're really, really hitting themes of contemporary concern to, you know, Generation Z. Yeah. Now, while you two were sitting here, Michelle and Jeff, while you were sitting here, and, and our executive producer, Elizabeth Handley, Hello. Yes, you can't say hi. She is uh, guiding us through us. I just looked on Forbes uh, magazine uh, on their website, and I'm thinking the question is, why podcast, right? Why should we podcast? And it was interesting, some, some statistics, current statistics in 2019, 51% of the United States population has listened to a podcast. That's over 130 million people of some sort have listened to a podcast. And 49% of those listening is done at home. 
Do you listen to podcasts? I do. What kind do you? Who do, who well, do you lately listen? I've listened to people like Sam Harris, This American Life, um, uh, several others that people recommend to me. It's usually by word of mouth. What about you, Elizabeth? I listen to Rob has a podcast, some Survivor podcast. Oh, you're, oh yeah. uh, you're into the culture mm-hmm. thing. Okay, yeah. Michelle. Yeah. Now I'm looking. <laughs> she keeps uh, she keeps laughing every time I look at her. Anyways, what do you listen to? One of my favorites is Gals on the Go, and then also the Lady Gang. Yes. The Lady Gang. Very entertaining. Are, very, and you're you're such a bright addition to our staff because you've been teaching uh, Jeff and I, who happen to be we just a just a little older. But you've been helping us understand some things like influencers and, and podcasting and, mm-hmm. and things of this nature. Yeah, a lot of influencers are moving into the podcast. Um, so Gals on the Go, we're started by two YouTubers. Um, Kenzie Elizabeth has her own, um, called I Love You So Much, her own podcast called I Love You So Much. And we highlight that in the August issue. Colonel, what podcasts do you listen to? So I listen to Relevant Magazine hmm. down in uh, Florida. Uh, but I also, along with you, I listen to... This American Life, uh, TED Talks, Revisionist History, and another one that I listen to for spiritual formation is is a, comes out of uh, England called Pray as You Pray as You Go, and it's a it's a 12 minute exercise in what we call Lexio Divina, which is praying over Scripture, praying through Scripture in the morning, and uh, it's a it's a nice broadcast. I thought I'd throw these things out to you that about 22 percent People listen to podcasts in the car. Now, here's something that's important. Podcast listeners are loyal, affluent, and educated. So if you're listening to this, you we appreciate you. You're, you're affluent. We like that. You're educated. 80% listen to all or most each episode of the, of the podcast and listens to an average of seven shows per week. So that's that's an, that is a, a, an interesting modern-day stat. So if you're asking the question, why are we doing this, the question should be asked, why not? We've, we're putting the mechanics together, and we'll, we'll continue to uh, hone this as we go along. We, we, we just put together uh, the August issue of The War Cry, and we're going to talk a little bit about things in that. But, um, Jeff, can you just tell me, uh, in a nutshell, how do, what does it take to get, get a magazine like this from, from a blank piece of paper into, into the streets? Yeah, that's one of the advantages of a podcast. We can go into detail behind the scenes uh, so people realize when they see a typo in a magazine, there's a huge history behind that, and that's an anomaly uh, given the complexity of the process. But we have a, a network of contributors from authors, writers, artists, graphic designers, photographers who, uh, who provide, who submit information, uh, who submit content to us. We, have, we do accept freelance articles. We also assign articles on certain subjects. Uh, it, it begins really with the conceptualization of what we are want to convey. And that goes back to what you said, Colonel, about representing the Army well means uh, keeping up the pulse of the culture and speaking into that culture with truth. So I think it that conceptualization, that background is critical to what flows in our magazine. But there's an enormous network of contributors, printers, um, staff members that uh, we generate so, uh, content internally. 
we uh, rely on designers to create compelling graphics that uh, are intriguing and that convey our message. Um, and those files then are transferred to our pre-press house um, where they are prepared for press, for digital printing. We work with Quad Graphics to actually print Peer and Warcry, and we use other printers to uh, work with our Crestbooks and Word and Deed. And from there, um, we work with databases to make sure that what we work so diligently to provide is mailed efficiently to locations around the country and around the world and to individuals. And you've been here on staff where you've seen the progression from it going from a weekly magazine to a bi-weekly to a monthly magazine and to what it is now where we're, we're producing 12 issues in a year, including in that is the Christmas and the Easter war cry. I just am, have been amazed in the last several months just watching the staff and watching the creative genius that happens, not only in the present, but also trying to think out um, of things from, you know, for the future, different things that we need to be talking, talking about. And one of the things that maybe our listeners won't, won't kind of really understand because of the nuances, I get this a lot of times, like exactly what is a national headquarters? You know, we're, I kind of use the analogy, we're like a Switzerland of the Salvation Army. We're kind of like, we're, we're not in charge of anything, but we're like a liaison. And again, we're giving voice to what's going on in the Salvation Army. And then we have all of these different groups and commissions and whatnot that come across our threshold here locally. Yes, and, yeah. and we're hoping that we can we can talk about that. And we'll be talking about those kind of things uh, in future issues with, with uh, some of our key staff members here. You know, our listeners may not know that we're very involved in public policy. We're involved in a lot of the different things that go on uh, behind the scenes in the country and in helping uh, meeting human need at the point of need. And uh, that, I think that's one of our geniuses that we get the opportunity to tap into that. All right. Well, let's let's get to it a little bit. We're um, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about the magazine. And I was very excited to see that it's actually out. Um, and you can go to thewarcry.org, and you you can get an idea of the things that we're going to be talking about here today. But w- we wanted to focus on this podcast on three of the interviews that we have in this um, in this particular issue. A great movie came out of the horrible tragedy in uh, South Carolina and the, the church, the Emmanuel Church. And uh, we, we had a, a great opportunity to interview the director uh, of that movie, uh, Brian Ivey, and uh, talk, uh, Jeff, you'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, Michelle has uh, tracked down some really important vloggers and influencers. Um, not only in this issue, but in upcoming issues as well. In the August issue, uh, Michelle has reached out to Kenzie Elizabeth, uh, who has a lot to share, uh, and Michelle will talk a little bit about that. And then I had the the opportunity to meet a young officer couple in North Omaha back in May, and I sat down with them a little bit and talked about some of the challenges that an inner city ministry has uh, for the for this uh this young young couple and that is uh lieutenant uh, kenneth and uh, sam 
uh, Nolan Jones, and we're, we're excited to talk a little bit about them. So, Jeff, I'm going to turn it to you first. Let's talk a little bit about Emmanuel, uh, that movie, and uh, some of the thoughts that you had with the director. Sure. I, I think if, if uh, people go to the website and delve into that interview, they will be rewarded by what Brian Ivey shares. There's many layers to that story. Now, I know my wife is very excited about about the movie because it's one of the executive producers is Steph Curry. Uh, and uh, Steph is uh, obviously has a heart after the Lord and is uh, very involved in a lot of different issues. Um, what, from your interview, what do you recall the, the director, uh, why the director picked this particular topic to put on, on film? Yeah, he describes it as that he didn't choose the movie, the movie chose him. He was exposed to that shooting during his honeymoon when nine people were killed in a Baptist church, and the name of the church is Emmanuel. But he was on his honeymoon when it occurred. He saw his wife crying over the computer, and from that time on, he couldn't shake the uh, idea of portraying how that community, how those church people, the relatives of the nine people who were murdered at gunpoint during a Bible study, how they and the community reacted to that awful, horrific incident um, that was racially motivated. And uh, he saw in them, the, and as did Steph Curry, the need for healing in our world that Christ can bring as demonstrated by the, the reaction of forgiveness and courage and empathy and commitment to the Lord that those survivors um, portrayed. My, my wife and my youngest daughter and myself, we, we went to a, a showing of it here locally in, in Alexandria because um, it, it was only going to run in, live in, in theaters only a couple of days, and it was on the, the anniversary date that, that it ran. It was tremendously moving. There was, there was just, there's just a lot of powerful imagery and truth in it. You also write here that the testimony of family members of the victims stood in stark contrast to the perpetrators' extreme prejudice and sociopathic ruthlessness. They chose to maintain their dignity and visionary faith, even as hostilities and potential outbreaks of violence seized many in that community. I think that's that was the huge thing right there. That was actually where the rubber, so to speak, of faith really met the road. I mean, you, you had every, they had every right to be angry and to, to speak out, but they kind of just went in a, a different direction. Totally. And how would, you know, you put yourself in their shoes, how would you react to that incident? You know, how would I react? Certainly, uh, that's a high calling. And of course, the Brian Ivey refers to Christ's word on the cross, where he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And they kind of um, remembered that in extending forgiveness and healing um, in the wake of that tragedy. Um, so, and also Brian Ivey, he's, he's the founder of Arbella Studios. He started out wanting to make films that convey the love of God and the salvation available through Jesus Christ. Um, so that's really, and his own story is interesting in that he considered himself a cultural Christian, you know, in form only, until he saw, um, on I think a mission trip, um, 
people working out their faith, living it out. And since then, he's been very committed to faith and social justice and how they work together. And this film conveys that. So we'll hear a little clip from, from him right now. What is your faith background? Sure. You know, I came up in uh, Southern California, and I was very much kind of like a cultural Catholic, I would say. Mm-hmm. I kind of clocked in and clocked out of that every once in a while, went to church. You know, mostly a Christmas and Easter kind of guy, but in reality, like in real life, it, I had no faith background. I think a lot of people have kind of a decorative faith. It's just something that it's sort of a part of their life, but it's certainly not what they care about the most or love the most or or think about the most. And it wasn't even in the top 10 for me. But what happened was I ended up when I went to college, I ended up following a story to, um, to South Korea, a story about a pastor who had built a mailbox for abandoned babies. Oh, yeah. Church. Yeah. And so I lived with him, and that's how I came to my Christian faith. And so that man was really responsible for that. He brought you to Christ? Yeah, in a way. I would say, you know, it was, it was, it was a team effort to bring me to Christ. You have to, you should know that. But it was, it was very much starting with him because what he revealed to me was that there was something about his Christianity that was so jarring because what I was familiar with was the cultural Christianity, the kind of dead religious ritualism that you see oftentimes in the American church where you see a lot of really wealthy people who aren't very generous and they say they believe in this God and and it just didn't really I couldn't reconcile the lack of action with the like the faith that they were preaching and proclaiming and with this man you had somebody who had adopted 20 kids with severe disabilities and that felt like Jesus to me yeah and I I needed to see that first to break down my barriers and then I ultimately was just received a gospel presentation very simple one about Jesus on the cross alone in my room with my computer watching it (laughs) that's wonderful you know it's interesting we ran an article on the army Salvation Army in Korea a few months ago and the the government of Korea has identified the army as the recipient of those children who were dropped in those drop boxes in Korea I didn't know if you knew that but that's another connection with the Salvation Army a lot of orphans come to the army that way which is a Salvation Army does so much good man well thank you what led you to form or Arbella Studios. Well, it was kind of that experience, really, in Korea. I felt like I needed to, I, I mean, when I, after I became a Christian, it sort of turned into, of course, what do I do from here? I mean, yeah, do I still make right. movies? I mean, that seems, like, that seems like a frivolous pursuit if you're going to, you know, live for God and try to help people and serve as you do in the Salvation Army. But God just could continue to call me back to this mission field. But, you know, the difference was I was creating art for him and his glory and trying to introduce people to who God is and this God I had met overseas. And so I think I started Arbella as, as an attempt to formalize that truth and that calling. And Arbella's two core tenets are faith and social justice because I want everything we do to have some actual impact in the world. Mm-hmm. The Dropbox, we were able to build a maternity shelter in Korea and serve a lot of orphans as well as just in domestically as well to try to get a lot of children adopted. I still get stories um, that come into my inbox of families who said they adopted a child because of the Dropbox movie. And with Emmanuel, beyond the fact that we're giving any producer profits, meaning anything I make or my producing partners make to the families, we're hoping that this will lead to real change in, 
and justice within the systems of our country. And that's that's why this film is a tool to make to be used. Uh, I see. It's interesting. Uh, my editor-in-chief's wife is a, a friend of Steph Curry's. How did he get involved? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense on paper, only because no one knew Steph Curry was starting a film production company <laughs> right. in Hollywood uh, until recently, and certainly we didn't either, but he actually uh, um, an executive at Sony Pictures had come to one of our pre-screens for a manual, saw the film, had a background in church, immediately ran up to me after and said, they have to show this to Steph Curry. I said, Steph Curry is a basketball player, why would you do that? I mean, that would be really cool, but... I don't watch basketball. I don't see what's he going to do. And he said, no, he's starting a company in Hollywood. And so they're going to be about faith and film. And I just said, okay, well, let's do it. So Steph watched the movie. And, and I think for him, it was just a perfect representation of his heart for people. And it was a representation of his own Christian faith, which he's very vocal about. Right. And I think for him, it was an opportunity as well to lift up a small movie to say, I'm not going to be about profit. I'm going to be about purpose. And that's really at the heart of their company. And, and he's living that out. So, and so as you know, that, that movie will be stream available online for streaming in September. So we'll make sure our, our listeners and our viewers have the links to, yes, to that. Yes, indeed, when it's available in September, yes. Now we're going to switch, we're going to switch a little bit to probably something that's a little lighter and uh, uh, not so heavy, but... Um, one of the one of the unique things that we we are trying to do, and I, I just I want to be pretty open with our listeners about this, is that we're really trying to expand our readership base. I have been a core officer for over 20 years, and we got the magazine, The War Cry, and we did different things with it, to taking it to prisons, to rest homes, uh, to the street, and we want to know what people do with the magazine. But we also know that uh, sometimes people don't read the magazine because, you know, maybe it just doesn't appeal to them. So one of the things I thought about was, well, let's, let's try to expand our readership. And that would mean the demographic uh, and the age of the readership. And we were very blessed to have Michelle join us uh, just a few months ago on our staff. And just seeing some of the some of the ideas that she had and some of the things that she wanted to run with, with from her own experiences in publishing, the idea of re- redesigning the uh, the middle pages. I forget what we call this section of of you know it's where the staples are, or they're not even <laughs> oh the center spread the center spread yeah. yeah yeah it's the middle of the book. I'm sorry, it's not staples. It's what do we call it? It's the yeah, call they, they call it something else at right. the, the printer. Anyways, so the center spread itself, if you look in the August issue, it has a whole different look to it and a kind of a different feel. And and uh, that is attributed to Michelle, and she's working with our designers on kind of a, a new fresh, I, it's just a fresh popping look, and it's, it's, just, it's just kind of fun. But Michelle, you were able to speak to our vlogger and tuber here, our influencer, uh, Kinsey uh, Elizabeth. Tell us a little bit about your interview with her and some of the things that she had to share. Yeah, so I actually have been following Kenzie, um, just myself, and I noticed that whenever she she is a YouTuber, that's her job title. Um, she just posts like daily videos about her life and just kind of experiences she goes through. And something that caught my attention is that she actually attends a Christian college in California. So when I reached out to her and heard back from her, I was really excited to talk to her because she just 
based off her videos, she speaks very well. So I was really excited to get an interview with her. The main thing we talked about is, you know, she's a full-time student. She owns her own business, essentially. Um, she is her own boss. So she does YouTube. She is a social media influencer. So she might get paid to post about certain things on Instagram or Facebook or something like that. And then on top of that, she also just started her own podcast. Um, so she is doing a lot while still trying to be a normal 20-something-year-old person. You know, she needs her own life and how she balances all of those. I feel like pretty much honestly anyone of any age could benefit from that. Um, but it is it is really interesting to get, you know, like a millennial's perspective on it because – Millennials don't have the best rep, and we're seen as like not hard workers. But I think Kenzie was the perfect one to highlight. Like, no, millennials are a hard worker, and Kenzie's a great example of that. And that's one of the unfortunate things, especially for millennials. They they have to already fight off a, a stereotype, which, you know, any of us that have been kind of put in a, a, a certain slot, you know, it's it's not it's not fun trying to get out of that slot, uh, and that and that's. I think that's one of the reasons why I, I really feel it's important for us to bring our, our millennial readers uh, into the fact that, you know, it's the millennial generation, it's the Z generation that's going to be sitting in these offices or, or who knows, our offices on the moon or they're in, you know, they're in hovercrafts somewhere, uh, you know, 10, 20 years from now. But, you know, there was something in this article uh, that, that I really liked. You asked her the question, what's something you wish you knew before starting college? And she says something. I was wondering if you could expand on it a little bit. But she said something my pastor said to me was, don't be married to your first idea. Simply put, just be open to, to change. What do you think about that phrase? What, how does that resonate with you as a millennial? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely... Um I think the younger you are when you learn that lesson that life is going to throw you curveballs and it's never going to be exactly how you thought, um, the younger you can learn that, the better off I think you're going to be uh, just a well-rounded person. And it sounds like she learned that at the perfect time of her, you know, in her life. And I think like if you have this picture perfect idea of what your life's going to be like in 5, 10, 15 years, you're going to be very disappointed because it's not going to be like that. Right. And that's okay. But it's for reasons, you know, it's, there's a reason that you were brought this different route. You know, I never thought I'd work for the Salvation Army and didn't even know what the Salvation Army was. Right. But here I am, <laughs> you know, and it's for a reason. And, you know, I think, that, I think that was like a great piece of advice. And I think once you really hear it and it sits in your head and you're like, huh, that's, that's true. Like once you admit to yourself, like that, that's really good advice, I think you can learn from it or grow with it, you know, um, versus if you're just like, oh, that's not true then I think it could kind of hit you a little bit harder down the road. Yeah. What, what do you think is something else that uh, Kenzie uh, is saying uh, that is important to our, our readers and our listeners? One of the favorite questions and answers I had for her, um, it's not in the print issue, but it will be online. You could read her full interview. Um, was that I simply asked her, you know, like, what is her standpoint on, like, dating and just kind of, you know, being a 20-year-old? Um, you know, I asked her, like, just kind of what does she think about that and how it compares with maybe her, like, um, you know, like, her beliefs. And her answer just blew me out of the water. She just said that the, the Bible is there to guide you, 
not to judge you. Like it's not a rule book. And if you see it as a rule book and you try to aim for this perfectionist, you're going to fail and you're only going to disappoint yourself. But if you see it as a guideline and it's okay if you make mistakes or it's okay if you don't do exactly what is written, but you're still a good person and a good Christian at the end of the day, that like God's going to love you no matter what. And I just thought that was a really real answer because I don't think most people view especially millennials, again, it's just not, it's not a very honest, like a a real answer that I feel like you would get from most millennials. Yeah. So there's, there's a, there's a organic feel in her response, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and that, you know, I mean, we can delve in and we can do, (laughs) you know, immediately when I think of the word perfect, I always just go right to the Greek and this idea of perfection is really it's it's really means about maturing and i think sometimes we're we're hard on ourselves you know we kind of we we have these standards or we have these expectations that other people put on us and we can't measure up to them but we have to learn how to measure the expectation that god has for us and measuring his love in our lives and how he wants to help us not be um strangled by a list of do's and don'ts but to understand there are actually more do's in the scripture than there are don'ts. There are more be's than not to be's uh, in your life. So it sounds like she's, she's just got an incredible amount of wisdom at a very young age. And mm-hmm. so we're very excited. One, one of the, the uh, regular features that we have in, in the magazine, uh, The War Cry, uh, is expert witness series, and we've been doing that for how long? Many years. Many I mean, years. yeah, we uh, had different titles, but we do try to interview people on the cutting edge of their field, um, whether it be music or art or um, theology or social service. And so we we look for people from all sorts of different segments of society, not just Salvation Army folks. Definitely, and often to tie in with a theme, Yeah. You know, whether we're treating a depression or um, career choice or vocation, we'll try to pull in somebody who's an expert in that field. Well, and, and this kind of works really well because in other issues of our, our this this uh, the other parts of this issue, we uh, deal with some of the uh, unique things that the Salvation Army is doing, in particular in prison ministry uh, in Alaska. And uh, we have a, a testimony of uh, Captain Derek Dwelly, uh, who was a, an, an inmate at one time. And I'm proud to say he was a student of mine when I was uh, the, out at the training college in the West. He was in my Old Testament class and great, great young man. Um, but I, I think about in context of this uh, officer couple in North Omaha, you know, they're really, what they're really about is trying to prevent uh, young people ending up in prisons. And they're trying to give them, uh, you know, a way out. I was very impressed uh, with uh, Lieutenant Ken and, and Sam for the passion and have, how both of them came out of kind of rough backgrounds themselves, and they shared openly uh, in, in the article about that and with me, um, and how, you know, God really kind of transformed them, and now they're in a vital place in, in probably uh, an area that, that would be considered 
you know, not that n nice of an area in Omaha, uh, but it's an area that the Salvation Army like needs to be in. And uh, these two young officers are working hard there. They offer safe haven um, at the, at, they call it the Sal in Omaha, correct? Yeah, it was a, a kind of a nickname by one of their sta longtime staff members kind of yeah. came up with that. So it's stuck. When I, when I was, you know, looking at that interview, I was wondering, Colonel, how, you, how do you think they maintain their balance? It can't be easy working with a population where, you know, often there's broken homes involved and the kids are angry, and they refer to that in the interview. How do they maintain their balance, their commitment in, in dealing with that uh, hard street reality daily? Well, I, I think it helps that, that they... they uh, that they understand, you know, where a lot of these folks are coming from, and what their the backgrounds, so they can they can relate, well, with that probably a lot better than obviously you and I can do, and then, then they are, uh, I think they both realize they do have limitations, and all of us have limitations, obviously, and you need to put some boundaries and buffers in place, and they talked a little bit about that. Uh, I know Lieutenant Sam just had, they, uh, well, they both just had, but she just gave birth to their, their second child. And family, their young family is important to them. They don't want to sacrifice their family uh, for the sake of, you know, their ministry. So they, like a lot of young officer couples, ha have to learn how to compartmentalize their life, how to have that kind of balance of, of ministry and rest, and, and learn to not take certain things home to empathize with people, but not to let that, you know, suffocate them in a way. I want to give uh, uh, kudos to um, the divisional staff in that town, uh, their divisional uh, commanders, uh, Majors Thompson, who in that division um, are concerned about the, the welfare and the balance, the balanced life that all the officers in their division have. And uh, they give particular attention to that, which you know, I think is in, important because, you, you know, that's kind of a, a side thing for me is, you know, Sabbath rest is, you know, real vital. I think that they focus on that. Let's hear from them. From what I understand, you met the Salvation Army in Detroit? Yes. Can you tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I met the Salvation Army through a soup kitchen in Detroit. Family couldn't really make ends meet, and we depended on several soup kitchens in that in the neighborhood, and the Salvation Army was one of them. The difference between the Salvation Army and those other soup kitchens was uh, the soup kitchen was, wasn't the means to an end where those other places were. They had different programs that they were, were offering. I remember coming up from the basement where we ate in the cafeteria at the Primark Core at the time, and I heard basketballs and dodgeballs, and I was like, what's, what's that going on? And they were like, oh yeah, we played, we have an after-school program. And at the time, we couldn't afford it. I mean, it was just $5, I think $5 a month or something like that, but we couldn't afford it, so we didn't go at the time. But it was probably a couple months after when it was a vacation Bible school. I didn't want to go, the rest of my family members we're going, and I didn't have anybody to play video games with, so I said, okay, since everybody's there, let me go over there. And I went, got registered, but I had tennis, which was a form of ringworm, so I couldn't go that time, but it didn't stop me, um, because after it had cleared up, I started attending the programs, and I mean, I fell in love with it since then on. How old were you? I was seven years old. Seven years old. Yep. And then, Sam, how did you meet the Army? 
Um, I had to go to the Army. I got picked up from for the after-school program. My dad got turned in, I guess, to DFS um, because he was working all the time, so it was just us at home, me and my other two siblings. And it was in St. Louis. In St. Louis, yeah. What part of St. Louis? Close to the south side. In north for almost a year. Yep. Mm-hmm. What is it that you're doing at the south? I think the first thing we're doing is offering a safe haven for our kids and our community. If you look at the structure of our grid, or it's kind of like a stakeholders, there's not many after-school programs, there's not many feeding programs. You have a couple of organizations that is helping with food, with emergency food banks, but a place to just come and rest and to just be poured into, there's not many opportunities for that. So for our, from our youth to our adults, we have that. And what is different from the outside world is we have standards that we are just helping them to live up to. And it's something as simple as not even swearing. I mean, it's crazy, but coming from that kind of hit background, our kids, they know so much vulgar language and they express so much anger. And we know that it's not them, but it's the situations that they're in. So if we, just by being available, we're able to just sit in it with them and really understand what they're going through to help them to just find hope. We have some kid, one kid we love dearly just in this this year alone. Based on what she's seen in life, she's okay with like being a a dancer for life. Yeah, that's what she... Like if you ask her what what are you gonna be she she was she's gonna be a sexual dancer to pay her bills right and mm. she doesn't even think about college like know? a like a strip club dancer yeah, yeah yeah she was kind of pushing back about character building because it's not cool you know um, but she's not even thirteen yet she's still a a very young lady and I was encouraging her that you know if you go if you get these badges eventually you can get the highest badges and then you have an opportunity for money for college and she laughed at me and said Lieutenant Sam I'm not going to college. And, like, it breaks my heart um, to think about she's not even 13. College is not an option for her in her mind. And being a sexual dancer is, like, what she's aspiring Mm -hmm. to be. Like, it's just, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And that's why the safe haven is so important because we are able to let them see something that they're not used to seeing. When you think about that story, it's hard. But then when you look at the life that she lives in, it makes sense. I mean, who can she really point to? in her circle to say, I want to be like that person because of the success the success that they have. No, I mean, she walked down the street, she prostitutes, uh, drug right dealers. from our... Um, parent, I mean, her parent just does what she does to get by, and that's okay, and you get used to that. I mean, it's the same way that I see in life, but if it wasn't for my community center director at the time that kept pushing me, like, you have potential, you can get out of here, you, you have great things that you can become, let me show you it. Like us just doing that alone is it is not giving hope, but it's selling hope because our one of the struggles that we have is our people just don't see the hope. Mm -hmm. So we have to sell them the hope so that they can receive the hope and then tap into the hope. So sell the hope, receive the hope Mm -hmm. and then tap into it. Yeah, that's that's good. What's the biggest blessing at the South for you? There's a lot of blessings. I love, uh, one of my favorite things is that we have an opportunity to do some outside-of-the-box things um, and, of course, impact people the way we've both been impacted. Mm -hmm. Um, The Salvation Army obviously stepped in in both of our lives in dramatic ways and changed our life because of it, changed the direction we were going. And so we get to do that back. Um, You know, he came through the feeding program. We have a feeding program. I came through the community center. We have a community center. But some of my greatest joys are getting to pour into these kids 
and even like having Rory around um, as part of the ministry really early on I prayed when she was in my belly actually I prayed that God would give her a ministry Hmm. with us and not be like a barrier or or even a burden to us and she absolutely has has done that you know there's like Sunday I went and prayed with one of my people and she came over and grabbed her hand too you know so she's part of the ministry and even the days that I go by myself and he's at home Sabbath with my daughter with our daughter um, everyone's like where's Rory you know she's she's just kind of part of the thing so that's also a massive blessing I just love seeing the growth opportunities um, of what we're building and that we have support Yes, um, that's my, uh, that was my blessing. Yeah, well, then you can the support, speak to that. The support. Yeah, the support from our leaders, our staff, and then different community members and organizations. From our staff, since we got there, they were bought into what we wanted to do. Um, our community center director, he, 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 he had high hopes for us, but the more that we talked and we showed that we want to see change and, and growth in, in our place, it let, it allowed him to see that, okay, as my as an individual, I have all these great ideas, and I want to put them somewhere that they would do nothing but nurture and grow, and I can trust that this place has my best interests. So having him on board is, is exceptional. Our staff members never question anything that we, we say or do, and it's so encouraging because from hearing stories from myself and my wife have experiences in a few appointments that she's been in, uh, people don't necessarily take kind to what you want and they may have already been adjusted to what used to be, so they may be stuck in that kind of way. But our people are not like that. And it's, I don't know, it's just so encouraging to say that we wanna make changes, we're doing those things and our our people are like, yeah, let's do that. Like our admin assistant, she prays and she shares a devotional every day um, before the feeding program and I look at that I'm like that's her ministry like I don't want to take that away I don't want to come in and do that myself because that's her ministry she's always um, evangelizing to people. people our kitchen uh, director she's always giving food out she's always if there's someone's birthday she grabs a, a, a nice dessert or something and she gives it to them we don't have a food pantry but we do like we make a couple make of things yep we do emergency food um, and they love it they love the mission of the Salvation Army and they're they are the people you know they, they smell like sheep and they smell like the community but they look like the community and that's a, metaphorically speaking <laughs> um, and <laughs> yeah, we don't have, this is Omaha but we don't have sheep outside <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, Thanks for that clarification. Right. <laughs> Let the record go. And it's it's probably one of the first times that being a black man has uh, given me an advantage because coming in here since day one, the community quickly grabbed me and was like, hey, this is the new pastor. This is our new leader. And I never even met him. I, that was just the first yeah. time. And it's just so good that like I can be who I am and not have to face the, the scrutiny of, of, of society and let my image be a light for my personality, my spirituality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think the support ends at our, obviously we're grateful for that as well, but even as we've started to think outside the box, our DHQ, I, I said in my review that I'm really grateful for DHQ and I feel like they're part of our team. Like even though my team is obviously at 2424 Pratt, um, DHQ is part of my team too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they've, you know, when we've pitched kind of some outside of the box ideas of what we want to do, what we want to build, I've I've heard before times when people have done that and it just gotten shot down. Mm-hmm. I don't know that 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 will work. I'm not sure how we'll pull it off, and that hasn't been the case. Um, everyone's been like, yeah, let's 
let's try to make it happen. And I've been super grateful for that opportunity. I prayed coming in that God would give us favor and provision. And it's like he answered quicker than I was ready for, I think. (laughs) I think we're going about this good. I'm I'm hoping that this this idea of uh, our Fight for Good podcast will, will catch on. We're we're learning. This is episode one, and we hope to we hope to bring uh, an episode each month. And I I'm excited about it. Um, we'll we'll bring in other members of our staff. Um, we want to thank Michelle for joining us. What are you working on for September? You have something unique going on in the September yeah. center spread. Um, I interviewed, uh, Jeff and I interviewed Stephanie Wilson. She's the author of The Lipstick Gospel. Um, and just kind of like Kenzie, she's also very honest when she talks about her finding her relationship with Christianity because she was also a 20-year-old college student and she felt like she was making all the wrong choices. Um, and just how like her her finding God didn't happen once, twice, or even overnight. It was an ongoing thing until it just stuck. Um, so yeah, so that, that her whole interview will be the entire millennial spread. And, and, uh, our listeners would, would like to know, we have, uh, we have a room here where we kind of put all the pages out for each, the upcoming issues and the design team and the editorial team kind of looks over. And I, I, I know that the, the, the look of that page has been a kind of a unique project because you're working it's almost like you're having to kind of massage it in in a lot of different ways tell tell our listeners what they would see on that page kind of kind of like visually um so starting out on the left side we actually just did a full bleed of a portrait of stephanie um with the the interview actually starting as a wraparound instead of like your traditional columns. Um, and then on the right side, we've got a couple more pictures of her um, with one of p- pictures of her mission trip is actually cut out as well. So it's not just like a standard square photo. And then with the interview continuing around the images, um, which is just different because you normally see it in, like I said, column forms. Mm. But the interview is actually, the whole interview is a wraparound, these pictures. Well, I'm grateful to you and, and, the, and the designers as well, um, Ashley and, and Roger, who are working together and, and, and trying to tweak a you know a, 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 just a different look and just yeah. just you know try something and and really you know the heart of 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 salvationism uh, our founder used to say to the early days uh, early salvationists was if if something isn't working stop it and try something else so not that our magazine doesn't work but i think there's a fluidity to 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 design that we need to kind of keep pace with and and I appreciate your eye for it or, you know, kind of at least communicating that to to our design team. You have uh, what, what are you working on for future issues? Um, for October, we're actually going to switch it and not do an interview at all. And it's going to be travel themed, just sort of like why millennials should travel, why they are traveling and how they can afford to travel. Um, all things travel related. Um, and that's about as far as I've gotten. <laughs> I know, well, there's some interesting things about that, too, because there are like like unknown and unreachable places that people have been mm-hmm. traveling to. And I think Instagram has a lot to do with that because there wouldn't be half the places on my bucket list if I didn't see it on Instagram, if someone didn't do it first. So I think that's a really cool thing that we can touch on. I think I saw October. some really pretty pictures of of people on a lake that is like this really crystal blue or whatever. and But it's actually ascetic and dangerous if you touch the water. And so, like, you know, some people are traveling to places that may not be all that 
good for them. But, yeah. yeah, but we, it's no, we, it's definitely cool. We won't cool. steer anybody that way. No, but. no, and like I know for me when I travel, it's a bunch of Instagram screenshots. Like I'm going to Los Angeles in yes. a couple of days, mm-hmm. and everything I have is screenshots of restaurants or stores or locations from Instagram. And that's how I know, like, oh, we're going to do this. Like, I found this cereal bar called Gizmos in L.A. Have you been there? Okay. It's literally, am I going to pay $20 for a bowl of cereal? You're right. I am. (laughs) But (laughs) I never would have known about it if I didn't see it on Instagram. Okay. For me, would I pay 20 (laughs) bucks for a bowl of cereal? No. You get to make your own. Like, if you want to combine them and put a Pop-Tart on top, they have, yeah, stuff from England. Like, stuff you can't get in the States. Yes. But, like, more advanced. Like different flavors. So when you come back next month, we'll, 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 we want to we want to hear an update about your yes. visit to the cereal bar. Yes, I'm we'll so endorse excited. that on this broadcast, not the other kind of bars. That, no, not well, what I'm excited about. But that's great, and and uh, we're we're looking forward to uh, you know all kinds of different things, and also for our listeners, if you have some ideas of things that you'd like to see in the center spread, kind of geared towards our our millennial mindset. Um, please uh, let us know. Jeff, we're also um, getting close to putting the final touches on Christmas. Christmas in July is celebrated here on Editorial Row at Publications. And uh, that's because we do the Christmas issue early so we can distribute it in time for ministry uh, outreach programs and the Kettle Campaign the Army engages in, in the fall. So we're always in... Um, need of content um, and new and refreshing content. We encourage our our listeners and our readers uh, to submit things to us. Uh, in particular, we're gonna, you know, we with our our peer magazine. You know, they're always looking for good photographs and uh, different things. Uh, so we would encourage you to go to uh, peer magazine peermag.org. Uh, for your submittals. For for the War Cry, the warcry.org. If you look on the webpage, there's um, an address there on how to submit articles, ideas, your editorials, all that kind of stuff. We're also, I understand, we're also in the Pinterest world, right? I have a Pinterest account because I am a, did you know this about me? I am a model railroader. Now, see, every day we're learning something new. It's completely nerdish, I know. But we're on all aspects of, you know, the key parts of social media, and we want to keep doing that. I was just going to say, I asked Michelle, ask you, what do you, what do you got in line coming up? Well, we're thinking of the theme of uh, ministering to the forgotten, remembering the forgotten. Um, and in that vein, we're doing a, an overview of the Salvation Army's Pathway of Hope initiative which is a, uh, an initiative to break intergenerational poverty. And it's, uh, it's been, I think, launched in 2011. And uh, we just want to update folks on the uh, viability and success of that program and what it's about. That's great. What are you, what are you thinking in October? Anything? Uh... Well, October we, we're dealing with uh, what faith means at different stages of life. So if any, and that's our overall theme. That's the theme. Yeah, and, and yes. I think that's important for our listeners to know is that we don't just do a potpourri of of stuff in a magazine, but we try to base it off of a theme. But we also try not to just saturate it just with that. that that's theme. exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's one focus. We, of course, we're open to other topics of current concern and Salvation Army 
ministry efforts, whatever they may be, unique, local, um, groundbreaking, um, but and often you know there's there's heartfelt stories at that level that we'd love to get from our contributors. Now, I'm very excited, and one of the things I've I've tasked staff, in particular Michelle, with is I'm very excited about the Mr. Rogers movie that's going to come out at Thanksgiving time. Um, I think all of us get uh, get happy uh, if if you. Uh, Remember Mr. Rogers and and uh, privilege of spending about an hour of my life with him when we were touring around the Croc Center before the dedication of that. Just a gracious man, and uh, we're hoping to get um, get a little in uh, with in that movie, and we'll probably dissect that movie a little bit and talk a little bit about that. You know, because I think and and kind of to, to sum this up, I, I you know I I I I think there's there's so much negativity in the world right now. And whatever your political leanings are, whatever your faith leanings are, whatever your orientations are and all that stuff, we are still on this great orbiting hairball of a planet that has been created by God Almighty. And he's given us this opportunity to live this life in full abundance one time. And really, I think I think one of the things that I'd like to get across in all of our issues as we go forward is just to be kind to one another and to be to be loving. And, uh, you know, this is what we do in the Salvation Army. Our heart is to God. Our hand is to man. We're not perfect. Um, none of us are, but we're all growing. And I think we, we just have to learn how to get along. And we in the Salvation Army are, are, are committed to that on a national level here in the United States of America. And I know internationally as well. Um, and uh, so we we just, I just kind of throw, had to throw in a little bit of preaching there, you know. Well, that's good. I mean, that's what we want to extend through our magazines, our podcasts, our Facebook accounts, etc. For, for some things, uh, some future things that we're looking at uh, in the future is we want to unpack a little bit more of some of the Salvation Army's work uh, down or around the borders of, of Texas, uh, Arizona, and uh, California. Uh, the Army is doing a lot of stuff to help a lot of people in a very uh, explosive um, and dynamic uh, situation. Um, and the Army is staying apolitical in all of that, but it's important. Uh, we're also going to, in future issue, we're going to do a little bit more follow-up and find out what's happening in Haiti uh, 10 years after that tremendous earthquake uh, happened there. And something that is going to be unique, we do this with every issue of the War Cry. We're, we're, this Christmas War Cry, we focus on a special program the Salvation Army does at Christmas time. We're focusing on St. Louis this year. Uh, my wife and I got to go out there for their tree lighting ceremony and uh, that event. But I'm working with, I'm excited about uh, Operation Santa in Alaska. And I'm, I had an interview uh, kind of beginning stages to plan that with uh, the Alaska Divisional Headquarters team uh, up there. So um, that's going to happen sometime in late November uh, and it's their 50th year they, they've been doing this program, the toy drop program with the National Guard. So I don't know about going in 50 below zero weather, Courageous. but you know what? It, it, it sounds like a challenge, and, and I'm excited about that. Uh, well, listen, we, we need to wrap up this uh, inaugural issue, uh, Fight for Good, and we really thank you for uh, sticking out all the way through. But for those of you that are listening, thanks, and we want you to keep checking us out. If you liked it, 
be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to follow The War Cry uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. So until our next time, this has been Fight for Good Podcast in the Salvation Army National Headquarters. We say God bless you and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.